I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose, and what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, I'm joined by an integrative medicine specialist and resiliency expert, Dr. Aditi Nerurkar. Stay tuned. You know, one of the real joys of presenting conversations on this show has been chatting with old friends, and it was so nice to reconnect with Dr. Aditi Nerurkar recently. Given the global backdrop of the pandemic that's changed so much of what we do and how we behave, Aditi's specialty expertise as an integrative medicine physician and a resiliency expert has been in high, high demand. Aditi is a childhood friend, and we shared some terrific experiences when I lived in New York as a medical student. And I certainly think I could have used her strategies then, and even more so now, as she brings the science, research, and medicine behind mitigating stress into helping translate it to a healthy mind-body connection. Her work has been featured through Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, and she's built a great presence as well on Clubhouse. We were able to catch up, and I asked her whether the pandemic has changed the way we think, or really should think, about resilience. It's amazing to be here. We are reminiscing about when we last saw each other and it's been too, too long. It has. And I mean, I think, uh, you know, the resiliency and power of the Marathi friendship is probably one to celebrate right now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, tell, tell me one thing. I've been thinking about this a lot and reflecting on it, both in medicine, in life, but this whole concept of, of, of resilience. And, you know, it's always been an, uh, an art and a skill, but do you think it's particularly in this kind of pandemic era, has that art and skill been redefined? Has it been reshaped? Have the contours of it changed, particularly now in this sort of culture that we're of, of pandemic that we're in? What a great question. Okay. You know, It's interesting because we all knew the word resilience prior to the pandemic. But what's happened is that resilience has really taken shape as the buzzword du jour during this year because we've had to foster our resilience. And the reason that is is because resilience is our innate biological ability, so it's always been there. But during times of stress, especially now, the universal and collective stress that we face during the pandemic is when resilience really takes shape. So we need stress for resilience to show itself. And now we are starting to see the end or, you know, light at the end of the tunnel with the pandemic. And there's so many things that we've learned about our own innate resilience. And we really had to foster and build that over the past year. But yes, resilience has always been there. It has not necessarily changed or morphed. I think it's just become something that is once was innate and has been way on the forefront of national conversation, international conversation. Committees are being formed for resilience. You're a physician, so am I. So much dialogue about burnout and resilience, which I hope we talk about because they're not two sides of the same coin. They're totally different processes. Um, But yeah, it's something that we've all had to learn how to adapt and build our resilience this year in particular. 
Well, and for those who are not in the medical profession and those who are really struggling with this and even those who are actually succeeding in this in this effort to gain more resilience in their lives, how has the pandemic maybe brought that more into focus? And have there been even day-to-day strategies for folks that have really yielded great results in your experiences and talking to people and thinking about this? You know, it's fascinating because resilience is not this mythical, magical thing. Just like stress isn't this magical thing. There's actually very concrete science-backed strategies that we can use to minimize our stress and build our resilience. So whether you're a physician or a frontline worker, essential worker, a mom, a dad, any sort of business person, people who are working from home. We've had so many challenges during this pandemic on the work front, the home front, caring for elders, the financial front. I mean, like the list goes on and on. And so when we talk about resilience or stress amongst all of these groups, it is true that there are things that we can do to minimize our stress and boost our resilience. Very simple techniques. They're not sexy. They're not necessarily cutting edge. But what is cutting edge is that the science behind a lot of these things is cutting edge and new and evolving, which makes us want to do them more. For example, sleep, protecting our sleep. We all know it's good for us. Our grandmothers, perhaps our great grandmothers have told us that sleep is important. But during a pandemic, we have learned that sleep is incredibly important because sleep can help influence our immunity. When we protect our sleep and sleep deeply and soundly, which is difficult, of course, granted, during a pandemic, we're all going to have fragmented sleep. But, you know, sleep has real links to immunity. It can help. Our immune system is the most active at night while we sleep. So there's many benefits that we're learning about these tried and true things like sleep or good nutrition or good hydration social support and connecting with others, whether it be virtually over Zoom or spending time in your pod, all of these things actually have an impact on our immunity, our mental health, our well-being, and ultimately our resilience. And that's the interesting thing. The research and all of these novel applications of things that we thought were very age old, you know, what's What's old is new again, and it's time to really embrace all of these things for what they are. They're actually wonderful interventions and therapeutic interventions. I like to say that sleep is a therapeutic intervention. Exercise, especially now when so many of us are working from home, we know that sitting is the new smoking, right? And so when we sit for long periods of time, there's so many bad things that can happen to our physical health, but also our mental health. There was a study that correlated prolonged periods of sitting with increased anxiety. So all the more reason to move our bodies. I think what works really well to make change is when we understand the why, because we all know that exercise is good for us. Why don't we do it? But when we understand the why or see a new interesting take on the why of exercise, then it makes us want to engage and actually create positive habits. That is something that I think has changed during the pandemic. And also a sense of need. You know, we feel a need to take charge of our health We are so out of control right now during a pandemic. And how do we feel in control? It's so difficult. And that's what we want. We want that feeling of safety and feeling control. And the way we do that is by doing some very simple things in our day-to-day lives so we can at least control some things in our lives while we can't control the giant pandemic that rages on. And it's, you know, I think we're getting it uh, under control, but still, it is still something with the the variants and the vaccine rollout and the various snafus that we've faced. 
at least we can manage our day-to-day life. On the one hand, you know, behavior change is so much of a personal affair. And and so making that behavior change is all, always involves the self. And yet so much of what we've experienced, I'm sure so many of the questions that come your way during this pandemic time involve a loss of that sense of control. And that dichotomy is just so interesting, right? That, you know, the, the power to change is always in your hands. And yet the feeling of this loss or this loss of a sense of control has really overpowered so many um, during the pandemic and brings on so much anxiety. Is there a reflection or an ability to now sort of look inward and, you know, sort of be present and pause and understand those moments a little bit better for you to regain that sense of control for you to even get to some of these daily habits in the first place? Yeah, great question. So what there, there's a term that I like to use called the resilience rule of two. In medical care, as you know, as a practicing physician, when a patient comes in, if there's 15 things that we need to work on, we try to focus on two things at a time at every visit. Because in our brains, the human brain and how we function, how we adopt change, even if it's a positive change, it is stressful. So change is a stressor, whether it be negative or positive. And we can really only adapt to two new changes at a time if we want those changes to be sustainable. So the resilience rule of two is that when we, for example, start of the pandemic, we may have wanted to learn a new language. I know I was like very keen to learn Italian. Then, you know, redo your basement, build a kitchen table from you know, reclaimed wood. Right. <laughs> There's so many huge projects lofty, that many of us have. goals, by the way. <laughs> Very lofty goals. And yet now, after a year in quarantine, it's a wonder if we shower once a day and mm. eat some semblance of vegetables. We're yeah. like, yes, win, success. And that is because over time, we've developed pandemic fatigue. And so making changes is really, really difficult. So instead of aiming for these big behavior changes of, you know, I want to lose 50 pounds during a pandemic, it's not really going to happen. It could. And I've had many people who've had great success with weight loss during the pandemic and more power to them. But instead of feeling bad saying, you know, how come I didn't do it? It's, why wasn't I able to achieve certain lofty goals? Understanding our biology, working with our biology rather than against it, and then aiming for two small changes at a time try to do, you know, minimize your screen time for the month of April, for example, and try to perhaps drink more water or take a 20-minute walk with a mask, of course, as a physician, I always have to say that. And 20-minute walk, minimizing screen time. Aim for that for the month of April. And then you can add on once, the, you know, it takes about six to eight weeks for habits to really be internalized. Mm. Then you can add on to two more things and two more things. So when you do it at a t- two at a time, that's the resilience rule of two. We're working with our biology rather than against it. And that can create behavioral change, even during the pandemic, when things feel so out of control. We focus on those two things. We build up incrementally, and then we can build our resilience from the inside out. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back and rejoin our conversation with Dr. Aditi Nerurkar. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. 
Let's rejoin our conversation with Dr. Aditi Nerurkar, where we talked about whether resilience is a cultural phenomenon and also the concept of cognitive reframing. I don't necessarily believe that resilience is a cultural specific thing. We all have the ability to be resilient. I think there's just various interests. So my interest, the reason I, you know, I lead with resilience because I have led with stress for the past 10 years, talking about the stress response, you know, various things that the brain does with stress, how we can mitigate the stress response to through lifestyle change and lots of other things like exercise and diet and mind body therapies, social support, etc. But then after a certain point, to me, it just felt like I was back in that system of sick care, right? Because when you address stress, so I published papers on stress management. And so we found, so an old study showed that 60 to 80% of all primary care visits have a stress-related component. And in spite of that, only 3% of all U.S. doctors counsel patients for stress for all the reasons that we talked about, lack of time, lack of knowledge, what do you do when someone says they're stressed, opening up Pandora's box. And so what I found is that I had, you know, I had a wonderful, very fulfilling stress management practice for patients where I would talk strictly about what they need to do to help mitigate and manage their stress. But then at a certain point, especially during the pandemic, when we are all stressed, it's like the first time in our in our life, certainly you're in my lifetime, where we've lived through a pandemic and feeling tremendous amount of stress. I just didn't want to lead from stress anymore. I wanted to lead from resilience and a sense of talking about our inner resilience, which is within us at all times, but it, we can do things to foster. So minimizing stress and maximizing resilience are often the same interventions. Mm. But when you are feeling incredibly stressed, saying to you, let's minimize your stress, especially during a pandemic when it's so out of your hands, instead saying, let's maximize your resilience, that automatically just changing the terminology helps you feel more resilient, you know? And it's this concept, this concept that what I believe integrative medicine really can give is this idea of a therapeutic encounter. So, Meaning, you know, before I see any patient, I think to myself, you are the medicine. That doesn't mean that you cure patients who have cancer by just being present. Of course not. That's ridiculous. But when you have a therapeutic vibe about you, and there's ways that you can teach these young medical students, you do a lot of medical education, and there's studies to show that when you have a therapeutic encounter, a doctor with a patient, and that feeling of therapy, like you, it's almost like the patient will leave and there's better, they take medications. There's a better adherence to medication. They have less severe symptoms of various things because they felt ultimately seen, heard, and understood. Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder if because, you know, leading with resilience brings a sense of optimism, um, you know, and like you mentioned, that sort of like that vibe of, of healing, you know, uh, fosters a pathway, therefore, uh, for a lot of people to just inherently feel like you're leading with a little bit more positivity than focusing on the stress and and whatnot, too. It's called cognitive reframing. Right, right, completely. It's the same Um, way that we do, you know, we do like a gratitude journal. And so there's like a very, lots of science behind writing down five things every day that you're grateful for and why. And when you do that, you it's same good and bad is happening to you all day, every day. 
Right. And you start focusing on the good because we have an inherent nature, the human our the, the brain and our human biology to focus on the negative because it keeps us safe. It is how we scan for danger. It's it's evolutionarily how we have survived. We scan for danger. We have a heightened awareness for bad things so that we can protect ourselves. It's our primal instinct. During the pandemic, that primal instinct has been on overdrive. That's why our stress right. response is on overdrive. That's why we doom scroll because we're checking and scanning and checking and scanning. And we know it doesn't make us feel good. And therefore we feel less safe. So we keep scanning and doom scrolling. So it's all connected. And so when you say, you know, I want to foster my resilience or I want to build my resilience, you come at it through a different lens because first you feel like, Hey, I have resilience within me. Maybe I can bring it forward. And how do I do that? Because there's very very clear tools on how to do that. And then once you have that, when you recognize like I have the resilience within me, I would like to bring it forward. You then also feel a greater sense of empowerment that there are things that you can do in your power to make a change and feel better. And that alone, that nugget of wisdom and sense of empowerment can, you know, make great, great changes. It makes me think about mechanisms that people take in coping and the variety of different ways to engender positivity when it comes to coping and even pausing. And I've talked with others about this who've um, really sort of capitalized on this concept of, of letting go. Is there an inherent cost to that? Is there an innate value of losing some of that underlying stress that that actually produces drive and motivation and energy and achievement at the same time. I'm curious what you think about that. I love your questions. They're so profound and so thoughtful. So the way stress works, if you think about stress and productivity, it's on a bell-shaped curve, our sense of productivity. So the less stress we have, if we have zero stress, we're actually not very productive we feel unmotivated and bored. So we won't meet our optimum potential. On the, on the flip side, if we are too stressed, we are too keyed up, too anxious, and therefore we are unable to meet our potential, whether that be with our work, with our engagement with our family, just our sense of productivity. But there is a sweet spot in the middle where the stress level is just right because stress isn't a bad thing. Stress is, gets us up out of bed in the morning. It's a wonderful adaptive mechanism. But when, when it becomes maladaptive, meaning when it starts interfering with our relationships, our sleep, our work, our eating habits, etc., that's when it's an issue. But stress in and of itself is a positive thing and it has helped us move forward for millennia. It has helped us make discoveries and get degrees and buy homes and you know, gain, lose weight, lots of, lots of things that stress has done. So right now with the pandemic, my suggestion is always to do less, to scale back, to cruise if you can, just because on that bell-shaped curve, when we're all to the far right, we're all very stressed right now, super anxious, we're not productive. So when you kind of let go a little and just kind of like ease up, you may in fact a boost in your productivity and your sense of well-being because of that sense of, you know, you, you are closer to the middle, closer to the sweet spot. Yeah. And so it's counterintuitive when you do less 
you might end up perhaps doing more in terms of like feeling more productive and getting more things done when you scale back simply because of our way, the way our brain works, you know, we get overloaded, especially during the pandemic very, very quickly. And um, so, so it's counterintuitive, but in fact, it is science. It's called the Ehler-Danlos curve. And it's just the, the way we respond to stress. It's like literally just like a bell shaped curve. Yeah. And it's, very interesting. I'm curious about one thing, and we only have a few minutes left, but you know, something we've all been trying to combat during this new framework of pandemic is how can not only we as individuals develop resiliency and cope and, and let go and um, understand what we're, what our boundaries are and, and hit that sweet spot that you talk about, but how can we do this now in the framework of groups? and communities. Because again, we're also trying to combat isolation and loneliness at the same time. So is there that power of groups doing this together, communities doing this together, and preventing that kind of loneliness in in our culture? What are some of the thoughts that you have about that? So, you know, what's interesting is that one of the few silver linings about the pandemic you know, there's been death and destruction. Industries upon industries have closed. The restaurant industry, for one, so many others have really felt the impact um, and millions of lives lost. So the pandemic has been utterly horrible. However, there have been some silver linings that have emerged, one of which is we have never, especially in our lifetime, gone through something like this collectively as a globe. And there is that shared humanness that has really come through. You know, early in the pandemic, back in March and April, if you remember, we saw so many stories of resilience around the world when um, in New York City, in Italy, and many other countries, people would start clapping at uh, 7 p.m. when the shift change happened, right, with healthcare workers. Or there were these beautiful videos in Italy, which was so hard hit early in the pandemic, of people playing music on their balconies to help others. So we have seen this outpouring of support, camaraderie, and a sense that we are all one. So in many ways, though we are away from our loved ones and feeling incredibly isolated, which we are, and it's done, you know, it's done a number on so many of us, including me, I, I I'm an extrovert. I love my friends. I love my family. I haven't been able to give my dad a hug, you know, because I've been away and no one was vaccinated and it was really, really difficult. So what I think the greatest silver lining is of the pandemic is that we have learned not only of our individual resilience, because we have had to be resilient, right, to get through this very, very challenging time for us on all sectors of life, financial, emotional, familial, and just personal. But we've also learned that we are all resilient, meaning as a community, whether it be our neighborhood, we've had so many people in your neighborhood too, I'm sure, where you have people have bought groceries for their elderly neighbors. People have checked in on people. I mean, the stories have been astounding to me. Even to this day, after a year of lockdown, they still bring tears to my eyes when I hear some story about how someone was kind and giving and generous to others. So that generosity of spirit really speaks to our resilience. It is not something that we did before. You know, it was was much more, in in my view, I think we were much more of a dog-eat-dog kind of world. And so the pandemic 
has really made us realize that like, no, we're all really in this together. The other thing that I think that in terms of a silver lining for us through the pandemic is that we will realize how little we actually need to feel a sense of fulfillment, safety, and love, you know, um, because we were so caught up in the, the various aspects of, you know, all of the, the things that we needed to, to feel happy. And now after going through something so, so challenging, I think we're all very grateful for our health. We feel grateful for our family and our loved ones to have a roof over our heads and some food on the table. And that is not guaranteed to anyone as we have seen during this pandemic. So just those basics feel so abundant, you know, and kind of recognizing and honoring that sense of gratitude for those things, which we often may have taken for granted. But when we are called to question our own mortality, right? As, as a physician, you know, and me and so many of our physician colleagues, you know, you didn't, it was such a scary time at the start of the pandemic. And I think that's something we all have really deeply understood that shared humanity and how we are really all in this together. And I hope that is something that can continue, you know, long after the pandemic right. is over and we've all been vaccinated. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could like help our neighbors the way we did and just there's such a sense of trust and safety um, amongst so many communities right now. Um, you know, I was really happy when, you know, there's been such a racial reckoning, which is wonderful. It's like, you know, people are waking up and I was so happy when so many different friends, all different races, we're all talking about issues that maybe we wouldn't have talked about a year ago. Right. And people want to know more. They want to learn more. They want to get educated on topics that they may not have. So it's really it's a, it's a societal reckoning that I think we're facing. And, um, you know, I hope that out of this, we become more resilient as individuals, which we already have seen. People are more resilient um, and have kind of learned that they're resilient, often to their surprise there. They realize right. this, right. but perhaps we can think, you know, we'll, we'll feel like, wow, we really went through something. We're a really resilient community or a re resilient state or even a resilient world, you know, because so many mm -hmm. people were not fortunate. Like we are sitting here today, a year after the pandemic. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful to talk to you and connect with you after so many yeah. years of not seeing you, because that is not the experience of everyone. There's millions of people right. who aren't here you know, and they're young and they were healthy and like, why then? Um, so I think we're going to have a lot of healing to do after the pandemic. You know, I do not believe that the pandemic is going to be over. We're all going to be vaccinated. And then there's going to be like a party, right. <laughs> a boring 20 party, which people are saying, I think yeah. it's going to be very difficult, you know, yeah. even in refugee health. So I worked with the WHO before I became a doctor and in refugee medicine, there's this concept that, you know, during a refugee camp situation, when stress is high and everyone's out of their element, you do see, of course, a sense of mental breakdown or mental health issues, but you don't see it as much. You do see it the most when people are repatriated back to yeah. their homes, back to their communities, because then your defenses come down. And I think we're going to see a lot of mental health challenges once this is over, because right now we are all in survival mode. We will the, the you know armor will come down when we are all vaccinated. And I think it's going to be a delicious, so many mental health things that we've had to, you know, including for, for all, for all industries, right. Not just physicians, but everyone, parents, we've just had to keep it together. And then yeah. when you're, when you are allowed and you're given permission, because like suddenly things are functioning normally again, I think we're going to see an influx of 
lots of mental health issues because we're, we've given ourselves permission to release that trapped fear, trauma, sadness, you know, um, and we're really going to see that. On the flip side, I do also believe that we'll have a huge um, rise in post-traumatic growth as well, which is a concept that is new and evolving. And um, we'll see lots of wonderful things that come out of this. But it's, um, you know, it's, it's been a test. It's been a test for so many of us, not just individually, but even, you know, as working people, as parents, in every um, aspect of our life. It's been uh, the greatest test of our life, I think. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that what it what it hits at in the calculus of all this is, you know, the trust that we've hopefully built in ourselves, that collaboration with neighbors and, and others in the community, and frankly, the surprises that come out will hopefully give us great licensure now to tackle some of that repatriation, as you say, and certainly the post-traumatic growth. I really love that that concept, it'll allow us to, to develop and really cultivate that trust in ourselves and, and do it together and do it collectively. Aditi, it's been so terrific to connect with you again. I hope you'll come back and join us on the show one more time at some point in the future. I would love it. It is amazing to talk to you. It brings back so many happy childhood memories of simpler times. You can learn more about Aditi and her terrific work at draditi.com. As always, you can listen to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing every Monday, Tuesday on Ruckus Avenue Radio through the Dash Radio app and wherever you get your podcasts. So my resiliency rule of two for the day meant finally updating my operating system to Big Sur and recording this outro while not sitting. Till next time, I'm Abaydanika. Hi, this is Sonic Khan. Listen to Ruckus Avenue Radio at dashradio.com and download the Dash Radio app for complete access 24 hours a day, 7 days a week to our station.